Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And hopefully, every all the buttons are pushed, and everybody who's going to come on comes on. <laughs> so anyway, um, I talked this morning. We were in Habakkuk one, and uh, we've we've got two shows now on Habakkuk, and we've got at least two more to go because of Habakkuk two and three are yet to come, and we'll get those in the next couple of weeks. But I said this afternoon we'd probably talk about Deuteronomy 5, which is a pretty important book. I mean, it's a continuation of what we learned in Exodus, but uh, it is terribly, terribly misunderstood. And a lot of people don't really get it. They, they, they don't understand the Old Testament. They don't understand the New Testament, or they don't understand both. And it's the same as a lot of people don't understand Paul, because Paul's talking to you about things hard to understand. And uh, if you don't understand the Old Testament, uh, you probably won't understand the New Testament. And you probably won't understand Paul. And you won't even remember what Peter said, <laughs> much less what Jesus Christ said. And one of the key things that, uh, which is the theme of Habakkuk, is that the just shall live by faith. And uh, that's that's just absolutely critical uh, to being a part of and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, is what it means to live by faith. And people have a lot of trigger ideas that they think, you know, like, uh, you know, we don't want to be pagan. Uh, we don't want to be an apostasy. Uh, you want to follow the Torah. You want to follow the Ten Commandments. You don't have to follow the Ten Commandments. All you have to do is believe. Uh, basically, whatever Jesus started that we call the church today, there's an awful lot of things out there posing as the church that just aren't the church. And uh, what is the church? What is the kingdom of God? How do you seek it? How do you know if you find it? What are you looking for to even find the kingdom of God? If you are going to find the kingdom of God. Let's see. You are being heard. That's what they say in New York. Okay. <laughs> so, I heard from two people in New York. So, for some reason or other, it's not giving me the time of the episode. So, I'll just have to keep track of my own clock. Uh, we're getting other messages in. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I know I'm recording here, or at least I'm pretty sure I am. I've I had that running before I even started. Oh yeah, it's recording. So anyway, we'll get right into Deuteronomy and we'll see how far we get into that. And if you go to preparingyou.com, preparingyou.com, uh, and look up Bible and look up Deuteronomy 5, that's where I'll be in using some of the notes that I put down this morning around 4.30 to 5.30. I put a bunch of notes together on Deuteronomy uh, 5 so that we can go through that as a source or a guide 
in following and understanding what Deuteronomy 5 is talking about. And, of course, one of the things it's talking about is the Ten Commandments. And so it's really behooves us to understand the Ten Commandments. And even though I repeat myself from some of the things I said in the first part of the show this morning, the people are so confused, so bewildered about the whole thing that uh, they uh, just don't quite get these simple statements, very simple statements, even though the translations are sometimes a little awkward. They're very simple statements. And one of the major problems with that is they don't understand simple words. Uh, they have changed the definition of words, changed the definition of altars, changed the definition of temple, changed the definition of religion, changed the definition of covenant. And you change this a few of these words and you can start steering people away from the actual message of the original authors. The other thing that we do ourselves is we start uh, trying to... Uh, instead of thinking in concepts, uh, which is what words are representative, words are symbols of ideas. That's that's what Johnson said. That's one of the first things I point out in the book Covenants of the Gods, is that words are symbols of ideas. I don't think in words. I think in those symbols. So I, And it's kind of a dyslexia with me, but it also gives me an advantage to see some things about what we call words, that other people don't get. I'm not really good at languages, you know, learning a language and then just talking in that language. Uh, a lot of times I can pick up words, you know, occasionally I've watched shows that are subtitled and I, I can hear the words, uh, French words, and I can understand what's going on. Or uh, I've looked at programs that were in Swedish and 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 I start picking up the words. But I don't really see the words. I see the ideas that the words represent. And so it makes it difficult for me to go back and speak the language <laughs> because I don't I, I see the pictures. I don't see the words. And it also gives me a, a problem sometimes when I'm trying to remember names of people. I, ca- I cannot remember the names of people. Uh, generally speaking, I have to go to a different part of my brain to get the names. That's in a, that's that's over here in this other room. So, when I'm talking about these things, don't just look at the words. Don't fit. Don't hang what you're trying to understand about what I'm saying or what I'm trying to say to you on the words themselves. Because they don't mean what you think they mean. And if, we, if we're looking in Deuteronomy 5 right away, we've got, And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. So he's saying, learn, keep, and do. He's going to speak them in your ears, but he wants you to learn them, to keep them, and to do them. Jesus said, the law, and Jeremiah said, and Hebrews says, that the law has to be written on your hearts and your minds. Well, 
Can you, can I write on your heart by speaking in your ear? Well, no, I really can't. But Moses was to speak to the people. Moses was to speak to the rock. When he exercised force against the rock, he sinned. And of course, what is the rock? Now, we think of it as a big boulder or stone, and he hit it, and it split in two, and water came out. But we don't understand Hebrew, because Hebrew, more than English even, the words are symbols of ideas. So when you see the word statutes, you see the word judgments, those words are symbols of ideas. Even when you see the word Moses, Moses was the name of the Pharaoh. Now, I know that in the Bible you see Ramses, but Ramses didn't exist at the time that the Israelites were leaving uh, and the plagues of Egypt. It was actually Tutankhamen who was the uh, Tutankhamen. And, and some people give me a hard time about the name Tutankhamen because <laughs> I often say Tutankhamen. And uh, that's not... That would not be an Egyptologist correct pronunciation of Moses. And uh, somebody pointed that out to me. And they're right. Uh, that that would not be an Egyptologist correct pronunciation of Moses. But we, or, or of Tutmosis, but we don't know what the correct, correct, correct pronunciation is because all these words in Egypt were hieroglyphics and there is no pronunciation key. It isn't composed of letters that you can write down and pronounce these words. That's not the way it works. <laughs> so anyway, so what is the name of Moses? And how do you say the name of Moses? And and uh, how would you write the name of Moses? And Tutmosis, for instance which is actually could be pronounced Thutmoses. But the actual standard Egyptologist pronunciation, because all Egyptologists don't speak English, but it's based on the Greek corresponding letters to what they wrote down when they looked at hieroglyphics, which would be corresponding in English letters, D-H-W-T-Y-M-S. And that's all we got. And we got to come up with Tutmosis. And the actual pronunciation a lot of uh, Egyptologists use is Jehudi. Uh, the first part of that. Jehudi Mos. And so that's a better pronunciation than Tutmos is Jehudi Mos. And so if you if we want to get correct and argue over the letter of the law, we're going to miss the spirit of the law. <laughs> so... But anyway, it, there's a link on that page, Deuteronomy, where you can go. And I actually have the hieroglyphics on the page of Moses showing the name Tutmosis, uh, which was Tutmosis third is the one that Moses was dealing with. And he had no rightful claim to the throne whatsoever. It was Moses who had the rightful claim to the throne. Moses had the right to come and get on the throne... Of Egypt and be the Moses of Egypt. That took Moses the third. He had the right to do that. And with the power of God he could have done it. But that isn't what the role of Moses was. He was like Gideon. He was not going to rule over you. I mean he didn't want to do that. He wanted. And that's why he actually left. He didn't leave because he was afraid of being arrested by the Pharaoh for killing the Egyptian. 
he left because he was becoming a tyrant. When the people depend upon rulers to make things right, to fix things, to provide things, they give power to that ruler. And their appetite gives him more and more power. And he is more likely to become a dictator. I mean, it almost, well, it did kill Saul. It almost killed David. It did destroy Rehoboam. He fell prey to that power that people give them. You give people power when you go to a doctor and because he's wearing a white coat and he's got one of those little stethoscopes hanging around his neck, you give him all kinds of power. He says, oh, take this pill, take this injection. You you do it. He is the God of your health. You have given him power. You have made him the priest of your body and the priest of your children's body. And that is a thing that we do when we don't serve God. We serve other gods. Whether it be, you know, doctors or lawyers or politicians or, or whoever. You know, our boss at work. They become the gods of our choices. They tell us what we can do and what we can't do. And right now in America, a lot of people are facing the choice. Do I take the vaccination or not? If I don't take the vaccination, I lose my job. And I'm I'm very pleased to see how many people are making that stand. And I'm very disappointed to see how many people who are not. But my disappointment is that many of them are going to die. And they are already dying. I should check before the show. Uh, the normal place I look forward to see the VAERS reports, openvares.com, they're down. They haven't been giving us any reports that they're supposedly working on, but for some reason they're not giving us reports. But anyway, we talked about that this morning. You just have to go listen to the morning show, and, if, and you will get to listen to all these shows uh, that we have made and, and have answers to your questions. If you join the network by going to Preparing You and click on the network links and join in whatever state you're in, whatever country you're in, uh, whether you're in Australia or South Africa or wherever, you want to join the network, and then we will give you more and more access to this information. So, listen anyway, let's go back to Deuteronomy and uh, see what Deuteronomy says. So, he talks about Moses, and we just talked about Moses. Israel, that's the place where God prevails. I have a link there to an article on Israel so you understand Israel. That's what it means in the Hebrew language, is that it is the place where God prevails. If people call themselves Israel, but they're not doing what God said, they're not Israel. I mean, you can call yourself Paris, Texas, but it don't make you Paris, France. You can call yourself Israel, but it doesn't make you Israel. Israel is a place where God prevails, and those who walk in the faith of Abraham are the sons of Abraham. Those who are not walking in the faith of Abraham are the sons of the devil. That's why the apostles talked about the synagogue of Satan. Them that say they are Jews but are really the synagogue of Satan. We could say the same today. Them that say they are Christians but are really the church of Satan. Because they're not doing what Christ's saying. And that's what we see here him saying in this. That he wants you to learn the statutes and judgments and keep them. And do them. Keep them and do them. Like that's two separate things. Isn't that the same thing? Well, not exactly. But again, thinking concepts. Don't just think in words. 
If you're, you're going to think in words, you're, you're going to stay shallow. You're not going to get deep. The kingdom of heaven is within you. It's way deep in you. It's deep into your heart and into your mind. And your love has to come from the kingdom of heaven. Because just to like somebody, to give them gifts, to, to give them free food and shelter and all these things, to give them everything you got, you're still giving them nothing. Unless you've given them love. When Paul says that, they translate it, If I give everything I have, but have not charity, which is really have not love, this certain kind of love, I got nothing. And so, learning what that kind of love is, I can't just tell you in 25 words or less. It has to be written in your heart and your mind. And the way it gets written in your heart and your mind is you you learn it in your mind, you keep it in your heart, and you do it with your hands. With the lamad, that's the Hebrew letter that usually means something to do with hands and doing things. But anyway, so they talk about uh, the statutes, which is is this word, uh, uh, chetkov. It's two letters, chetkov. And uh, it can be pronounced uh, shok, and uh, or s- some pronounce it kuk or kake, although there's no vowels in it. Uh, but the actual word that's written there is hey, chet, cough, yod, mem. Yod is the divine spark. Mem is the flow. The flow of the divine spark. Like the flow of energy, like a flow of electricity, like the flow of the virtue that went out of Jesus and into the woman and healed her. If you just try to keep the commandments by rote, you won't get it. You have to keep the commandments with the flow of the divine spark moving in you. This is why I say it's not just head knowledge. It has to be written on your heart. Keep, kept in your heart. And then... From the bottom of your heart, that turns into actions, into the flow of the Yod and the Mem. Yod, the divine spark, we find that in one letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the Eleph, that has two Yods in it. One Yod is one way, the other Yod is reverse, and in between is a Vav. And that, the best picture that represents that, that I can think of right in this moment, is the picture by, uh, was it Michelangelo, where it shows God reaching out with his hand and Adam reaching up with his hand and their fingers are almost touching. And each finger represents the Yod, the divine spark. The divine spark of God into the heart and body of man. And when that spark flows, that love that God has, because we can't, we can't even fathom the love that God has. I mean, we can try to emulate it, but it it's a gift. That love that God has for us, that gave us existence, that gave us choice, that gave us the universe, that love, we can only kind of speculate at. We can touch it. We can look at it like Moses through the crack in the, in the rock. We can't even see, we can't even fathom the whole thing. But you've given this life to seek that out. And that's the word for statute. That Chetkov, Yad Mem, is the word they have there for statute. 
So what is the word they have there for, uh, again, even, even, you know, I said the divine spark. The, the word chat has to do with the life force, the dynamic nature of cause and effect. And cough has to do with crown. Each of us is crowned by God. There was no kings in Israel, the place where God prevailed. When they got a king, that was a bad thing. That was a rejection of God. When you got a president, that was a rejection of God. God's name is not down in the Constitution. As a matter of fact, we have a whole book that's free online, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, that show you that the Constitution is not a biblical document. I think the world of... George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Madison. I'd love to have them as neighbors. I'd love to have them over for dinner. And uh, I, I, I could get along with them probably. I would challenge them that all their ideas were not good ideas. Uh, and uh, a lot of other people that I quote regularly said the same thing back in those days, like Patrick Henry. <laughs> but anyway, this other word that we see that is translated judgment... Uh, it is normally hey, mem, shin, pay, or pi, tet. And it has two letters added onto it. What do you think those two letters are? Yod, mem. <laughs> divine spark in mem, the flow of that divine spark. Why, they added the same words to statutes and judgments. Because it's not God's judgment unless it has the divine spark and the flow of that divine spark, that electrical virtue energy that Jesus felt flow out of him. Then the woman had flow into her and healed her. This is where the miracles are going to come from. They don't come from your imagination. They come from the divine spark flowing in you. And so it's not enough to have the law written on your mind, but it has to be written in your heart. When I tell you and you memorize the words, that doesn't give you the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can't give you the Holy Spirit. It's not mine to give. But it comes into you when you hear, keep the word as it is meant, not as you imagine it, but as you, it was meant in your heart. And turn it into doing, which is why Christ, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. Not those who hear only, but those who do it the will of the Father. There is a gospel going around that you don't have to do anything to be saved. Well, that's actually true and false at the same time. That's the dichotomy. You cannot earn salvation. But if you're not a doer of the word, that is evidence and should be evidence to you and to everybody else that you're not saved. That's what James tells you. We know them by what they do. They don't earn salvation. There's nothing you can do where all of a sudden God's going to owe you salvation. I mean, you just can't get there from here. And so you need to understand that. So anyway, we haven't got very far in Deuteronomy and we're already clipping along here. Uh, I've got getting all kinds of notices of people. <laughs> they don't think, no, I'm on the air. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so we got the first two lines. Now, let's, let's get to the next couple really quick. The Lord, our God, made a covenant with us in Horeb. Now, you know, we talked about this in Ten Commandments in Exodus, and, and he's talking about this covenant. 
And some people say a covenant is an agreement with God. But that's not what the definition is. A covenant is an alliance, a pledge between men. A constitution. You could translate the word the constitution. He made a constitution with us. Did you know that the Bible tells you how to write a constitution? Deuteronomy 17, 16. You can go to that at preparing you. And I've got a lot of notes on that. It tells you what to put in your constitution. This is how come I know the Constitution of the United States is not a godly document. It, it is what it is, and I'm not against it. But I, I'm not going to delude myself into think that God wrote it. No. Madison and Jefferson and, and those guys, they wrote it. <laughs> and they're flawed. They're flawed human beings. God love them, they're flawed. But you're not going to get into heaven or into the kingdom of God because of what Madison did or didn't do or Jefferson did or didn't do. It's about you. It's it's an individual journey to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So anyway, the covenant, the constitution between us and God that was written at Horab, and, and of course Christ said to keep the commandments, so it's Christ is going along with it. Christ was quoting the Old Testament all the time. He said, keep the commandments. Paul said, keep the commandments. Peter said, keep the commandments. You know, other people say you don't have to keep the commandments. But I think you do have to keep the commandments because it's part of that cause and effect, that cough and uh, chat, that cause and effect. So anyway, the Lord made this covenant with the people back at Horeb. And it goes and repeats that again, that the Lord made this covenant. With our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. So, there's still the people that, uh, I'm not going to be able to read all these messages. I'm not going to take a break, so I'm just going to keep on going. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll see. Uh, the uh, Lord uh, talked with you face to face in the mount, out of the midst of the fire. What is that fire? I didn't go into it this morning. There was this pillar that looked like fire at nighttime, but it looked like smoke, a pillar of smoke in the daytime. I don't know what that was. I could imagine, I could speculate, but that's what he's talking about, the midst of the fire. Now, there was another fire that Moses talked about, a burning bush. It wasn't actually a burning bush. Our artists draw pictures of a bush and it's on fire and, and he's talking to the bush. From way off in the desert where Moses was, there are sometimes bushes that will burst into flames with spontaneous combustion. They will burn for a very short period of time. We have greasewood out here that can do the same thing. They'll burn really hot, really bright for a short time and then they'll go out. But he saw this, what he thought was a burning bush, this light out on the desert, that did not consume like most burning bushes. So he called it a burning bush when he first saw it, but when he got up to it, it did not look like a burning bush. It looked like a burning bush from way off. When he got up to it, it looked like this same thing, this fire. And there was a voice coming out of it. What he saw and what he didn't see, they just don't go into that. And there's no real point in speculating. What we need to understand is what it had to say. And what Moses had to say. I and mean, Moses freed people. He, he freed people by the thousands, maybe by the millions. And he showed them how to stay free. 
So that's what we really want to know. We don't want to know what was the fire. You know, I mean, that's not really that important. So uh, if it was, they would have given us more details. So verse 5, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for ye were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mount. It was also the thunder and all these things. They were afraid for a number of reasons. They couldn't face it. They couldn't get near the light, the fire that they're calling fire. It's this light. And, of course, Adam and Eve fled the garden because they were afraid of the light of the cherub that was in the center of the garden. That's why as soon as they sin, they're, they're hiding. And we're all sinners, so we've all been hiding from the truth. We have to let the light in, and we have to see the truth. And you know what happens when you do Why are they running? Because when you see the light and the truth, you see the truth about yourself. That's why I've added to the page on cognitive dissonance and depression. Because that that conflict of ideas in us that is conflicting with the image of God will lead to depression. And you can be relieved of that depression and anxiety and fear when you start becoming willing to see the truth. And sometimes coming together can help you do that because it's a little frightening by yourself. I just talked to somebody the other day and they were saying, this is all kind of frightening. Well, yeah, it is. But and, and I will walk with you and others in the network will walk with you as you begin to learn to walk on your own. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit takes away that fear. So there is a transition, a little scary at first, just like Peter stepping out of the boat. But anyway, if you continue, persevere. This is what Christ says, strive and persevere. He's saying these things. It's not like you're going to earn it, but yeah, there's a burden with this. There's a little fear with this, but keep going. I am the Lord, and that's one of the reasons why you come together to encourage one another. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, which means the land of bondage and the house of bondage. So he's kind of redundant in saying it, but that shows you the emphasis, because is, uh, Hebrew language is always doing that, repeating something to show how important it is. And then he says, Thou shalt have none other gods before me. And there's a link there to the gods to show you that those gods are the same gods, many that Paul talks about, them that say they are gods, but are not gods. But those are, all it is is ruling judges. The word Elohim, you know, the word Lord up there is Yahweh, but the word down here that we see translated God in, uh, from my memory, I believe it was Elohim, it probably was, because that's the most likely word that you will find there. There is Adonai that could be translated that, but I believe this is Elohim, which means ruling judge. It is even translated judge at least five times in the Bible and probably could be translated judge more. Today in America, the ruling judges are those judges appointed by the president, the judges that you elect, uh, Supreme Court justices, they're the ones who are deciding good and evil for you. They're saying abortion is good, etc. They're saying forcing people to take the vaccination is good. And those are the gods, and you have to bow down and serve them because you eat at their table. You're not setting the table of the Lord. You have the corbin of those gods, the sacrifice of those gods, to provide you with your daily bread. You're not going to church for your daily bread. You're going to the religion of socialism, of the socialist welfare state, to get your daily bread. 
Early Christians didn't do that. They were actually persecuted even unto death because they would not sign up for the welfare program of the Roman emperors, what they call the Roman imperial cult. And once you signed up, you had to pay in, same as they did with the Pharisees. That and that, But they had to bow down and serve those men. And they had to go by what those men said was just right and fair. This is what he's talking about. This is why we should have a table of which they cannot eat. And we should not be going to eat at their table. And don't get caught up in the symbolism. And, and the very next thing you see in verse 8 is, Thou shalt not make thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven. Anything, anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. He's not talking about statues. He's talking about you making something with the hand of man if you go into the Hebrew of the, this language and understand the symbolism and the sophistry, I have a whole article on sophistry. I should put a link in here to sophistry articles so that you can understand that an altar is not a pile of stones. An altar is a pile of living stones, a gathering of living stones. It always was. And burning up sheep is not what they wanted you to do, but giving up an offering entirely. Is the key. And the offering had to be free will offering, not an offering that was forced from the people. Like a plow, plowing through the Adama. That's what, that's what, uh, Cain did. He plowed the Adama. That's what it says. And he got his fruits from plowing the Adama. It wasn't about gardening. It wasn't even about sheep herding. It was about being a good shepherd to the people. But anyway, we won't go into all that. Gets to stick to this so that we can grasp this simple concept of graven images. And I have a link there that will take you to a whole article on graven images and what they were. And they can mean all kinds of things. When they created the golden calf, that was considered a graven image. But the golden calf was a reserve bank. Where people put all their gold wealth in that reserve bank. They could keep their silver, but the gold went into the reserve bank. And that was your portable wealth. And it bound the people together. And Moses said, no, don't do that. You keep your gold in your purse. You keep your silver in your purse. You bind one another with other bonds. Bonds of love. Bonds of caring. Bonds of appreciation. The bonds of sacrifice. It only comes with sacrifice. Like within a family, but now you're a community. It is the faith, hope, and charity and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity that creates the bonds of a free society. And not in these institutions, whether they be banking institutions or welfare institutions, uh, like that's what mammon is. It's entrusted wealth supposedly to take care of the needy of your society and a treasury, but thieves and robbers break in and moths eat it up, and that's where you're at today. You had all of your gold in uh, Fort Knox. It ain't there no more. It's gone. It's been used up. Now you're in debt by trillions and trillions of dollars. And they tell you this every day in the news. And why is that? Because you don't keep the commandments. And he goes on to say, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to unto them, 
that's these images, these institutions, uh, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers upon the children and uh, uh, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Why did they pick a leader with Saul? Because they had already rejected God. That's the hate they're talking about. You've already rejected God. You've picked other men. You don't have a daily ministration that takes, provides you. You don't pray to that daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity for your daily bread. You go to men who exercise authority one over the other for your daily bread. And you ask them to take away from your neighbor to borrow against the future of your children and your neighbor's children so that you can have free stuff. All that's in contradiction to what Christ said. If you don't believe me, go read Luke 22, 25, and 27. Uh, it's very clear. You're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other and call themselves benefactors because you're getting benefits through covetous practices. And you're not supposed to be doing that. So, anyway, now we're getting down to more uh, keeping of the commandments. Showing mercy to th- unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. And that, there's a link there to another article, Keep My Commandments, and tells you more about it. But he says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is saying, I believe in Yahweh. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Messiah, the Messiah. I believe in him. I'm not going to do what he says, but I believe in him. That's taking his name in vain. You're saying you're a Christian, but you're not doing what Christ said. That That's taking his name in vain. And there's a lot of Christians who do that, and you're not going to get away with it. Uh, because we live in a cause and effect universe. It's built in already. You, it's not about spelling Yahweh, Yahweh, or, or any of that stuff. It's not about jots and tittles. It's about righteousness. The just shall live by faith. Now, verse 12. Keep the Sabbath day. Right after that, keeping the name in vain, and you know, taking the name in vain. It says, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor first, do all thy work first, but the seventh day, at the end of the week, at the end of a period of time, at the end of doing all your work, is the Sabbath, a day of rest. You get your rest after you work. First you work, then you rest. Today, people want to rest, take their vacation now, get their benefit now, and they'll pay for it later. Or maybe they'll just have their children pay for it later, which is what you're doing right now. All the stimulus checks, all the welfare, all the Social Security you get, none of that is from the money you paid in. That's all coming from the people that live now or live in the future. You, you're not keeping the Sabbath if you're depending upon a system that borrows against the future of your children, the future of your neighbor's children, in order to give you benefits today. That is the antithesis of keeping the Sabbath. It doesn't, it's not about counting to seven. It's not about counting to six. It's not about keeping of days. 
<laughs> That's, even they, they tell you that in the New Testament. I should put a link to that quote as well. But, uh, so you're not keeping the Sabbath. You're, you don't even get that. If you think it's a day, no, it's a way. So, the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it thou shalt not do any work thou, nor thy sons, nor thy daughters, nor thy manservants, nor thy maidservants, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle. Now, you can carry the symbolism of that too far. Is what they're saying, because you, you may have maidservants. You may even have animals in your... Of course, your children are supposed to be serving and taking care of you. If they do their work, they should have time off. You should not make them continuously work. They should be able to... Don't muzzle the ox. It's the same principle. Uh, that Who treadeth out the grain. You, not only do you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor after you labor the six days... You need to let other people enjoy the fruits of their labor. Even your servants, they need to enjoy the fruits of their labor. After they labored, they need to enjoy the fruits of their labor. You're not to be slave drivers. Even your children, you need to give your children the right to choose. This is one of the great things that God was able to do, is that God not only created us, but He gave us free will. He gave us the right to choose. That is just absolutely miraculous. It tells you just huge about the character of God. This this divine, universal, singularity, spiritual, created creating uh, entity we call God, which I, I didn't even like the word entity, Establish all the universe. Establish all this life. And his his handprint is on all of this. And he gives us a right to choose. If we're made in his image, we need to give other people the right to choose. We do not make slaves out of other people. We do not work them. They get to enjoy the fruits of their labor as well. So 15, and... Remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Keeping the Sabbath day means not oppressing other people, allowing them to joy, enjoy the fruits of their labor. But no, you have created a system where you tax everybody on their labor. It doesn't matter if they work seven days a week. You're going to tax them on every single day. Every ounce of labor. In the United States, you can even go to another country. A lot of countries don't do this. But in the United States, you can go to another country, earn money. You still have to pay taxes on that money. In England, you can you can go to another country like Cyprus and you don't have to pay taxes on the money you make in Cyprus. Wow. But we're worse. And we take far more than 20%. Because, see, you're all back in the bondage of Egypt because you haven't been keeping the commandments. You've been coveting your neighbor's goods, which is towards the end. But let's go to honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days be prolonged and that... Uh, that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Okay, well, 
America was given a land. Now, a lot of people say we took it from the Indians. Most of the Indians died of disease. And we say, oh, well, you guys brought the disease and you killed them. Well, yeah, we brought diseases. They had diseases. We got their diseases. They got our diseases. But we survived because we had a better immune system. Why did we have a better immune system? Because a few hundred years before, half of us died when plagues came from the east. Plagues moved around as we developed trade. And we got, people got wealth and they got uh, items and life improved, but diseases came. And it killed a lot of people and we developed a more robust immune system. They didn't have those trade routes in America and they had very poor uh, immune systems. People didn't travel around much because the Indians would kill you if they found you on their hunting grounds. Uh, they were killing people pretty regularly. They believed in Manifest Destiny, etc. Go read our articles on uh, the Indian Confederations. And we show you. I mean, we're, uh, there's footnotes. You can read it yourself. We're using their materials to show you. I'm not condemning Indians. There were great Indians. There were good Indians. There were bad Indians. I say Indians, Native Americans, whatever you want to call them. Uh and there were good white men and there were bad white men. And there were Indians who saved white men and there were white men who saved Indians. And there were bad white men and bad Indians and they killed each other. They, the Indians killed the Indians and the white men killed white men and white men and Indians killed each other. Good and bad is not a matter of race. It's a matter of righteousness. question is, are you on the side of righteousness or are you on the side of the covetous practices which we have not yet got to? But anyway, so honor thy father and thy mother, that means enrich thy father and mother. Take care of thy father and mother, so that thy days will be long upon the land. The Corbin of the Pharisees caused the people to do no more aught for their family. And the Corbin of the Pharisees, you'll find a link over there on the right-hand side. The Corbin of the Pharisees was a social welfare system set up by the Pharisees where you had to pay in, once you signed up, you had to pay in, and the temple took care of the needy of society. This is why people in John 10 didn't want to profess Christ, because they knew they would be kicked out of the welfare system of the temple. And they didn't want that. They were afraid of that. But, uh, and a lot of people are afraid of that today. Oh, well, what about our social security? What about our welfare? And I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm not trying to be mean to you or anything like that. I'm just telling you what it is. It's the, it's the same as the system of Corbin that was set up by the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect and caused a lot of people to do no more aught for their parents. So their days were not going to be long upon the land. That's happening today through Social Security. I know I can name you people. I won't do it because I don't do many. Uh, that don't take care of their parents. Their parents lives entirely on Social Security. I, I know people that not only don't take care of their parents, they live at their parents' house on their parents' Social Security, and they try to tell me that they're actually taking care of their parents when they're actually just living off their parents and do a little bit of, you know, they take out the garbage and do a little bit of stuff. They're kidding themselves. They're not doers of the word. But anyway, 17, it's not too hard to figure out thou shalt not kill well, thou shalt not have the government kill on your behalf either. You do not give other people the power to kill. And, of course, right now, I tell you, millions upon millions of people are going to be killed by the actions of the modern governments of the world, all over the world. And they're doing it 
while people are singing in their churches and actually going along and bowing down and serving those same governs, governments which make them more and more powerful, which corrupt them more and more. So, but eventually they will fall on their sword, but millions upon millions of people will die in the days that are coming. And we'll get more into that in other shows. But actually, it will reveal itself to you quick enough. I do not want you to seek the kingdom of God out of fear. I want you to seek the kingdom of God out of love. And the reason I want you to do that is because that's what God wants you to do. (laughs) And I'm on his side. So anyway, number 18, neither shalt thou commit adultery. Well, adultery is not just sexual adultery. Certainly it is sexual adultery, especially with venereal disease around what it is. And because you promised to love, honor, and cherish this woman, and she promised to uh, love you as well. And so why are you cheating on her? Why is she cheating on you? And committing adultery. Well, there's other ways to adulterate your bodies other than having sexual intercourse with people outside of marriage. It's what you eat can adulterate you. I mean, where's gluttony in all this? Uh, you know, if you're obese, how'd you get obese? Did you eat too much? Well, that was adultery. That made you fat. And in the Bible, actually, and I should make that a live link as well. I probably will when I go through this recording. But uh, because we have articles on adultery, most adultery is national adultery. When you go to that well-favored harlot and commit whoredoms, which is what you do when you go to welfare systems that operate by faith, by, by force, fear, and fealty, rather than the welfare system that Christ established through the church that operated by faith, hope, and charity. Both the church in the wilderness and the church established by Christ took care of the needs of the people by free will offerings, by charity. If you're going to men who exercise authority one over the other, and you're going to the uh, graven images that they have created, the institutions they have created to get welfare at the expense of your neighbor through covetous practices, then guess what? You are going to the well-favored harlot. You are committing whoredoms. And you are committing national adultery. So anyway, number 19, neither shalt thou steal. Pretty evident. No need to go over to that. Taxation is not theft. Taxation is what takes place when you do what's coming up, which is the covetous practices. Obviously, uh, neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Well, that we could go into that in great detail, but that, that's pretty self-evident as well. And uh, a lot of people are doing just that, and they're going to do more and more of that because they've turned themselves over to the spirit of evil, to the iniquities of the world. But anyway, 21, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his fields, or his manservant, or his maidservants, or his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. Do you want public school education for free? How do you get it? You force your neighbor to contribute to your public school education or you will take his house away. That is the system you have created. That is the image, the graven image that you have established and now bow down and serve to get free public school education at the expense of your neighbor. That is a covetous practice. 
It will make you merchandise and curse your children. Now, of course, you don't just do it for public school education, but I give you that example because it's very clear you're going to take that person's house away from them if they do not pay into your public school education. You're not keeping the commandments. By policy. Now, you could homeschool. You could gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and create better schools Better education for your children that doesn't have CRT. Did I get that right? Critical race theory. Yeah, CRT uh, in it and a lot of other things. And you go read our schools as tools, you'll see how many other things that they're, or not even how many, just a larger number of things that they're teaching your children that are absolutely false. But anyway, we're down to 22. These words, the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire. Of the cloud. See, they're telling you in the fire of the cloud. And of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tablets of stone and delivered them unto me. And Moses delivered them unto you. And it came to pass when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness. For the mountain did burn with fire that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us this glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have been seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. So, They saw that miracle. I'm telling you that God is trying to talk to you right now. I'm talking to you. Soon I will shut up. (laughs) And you can learn to be still and know. I should put links on here to our page on meditation. You need to be still. But then once you've learned to quiet down, calm down, listen to that still small voice, and start to do what the voice of the Lord, our God, does tell instead of, Because I can tell you, the gods of the world will tell you, like I said, abortion is okay. Coveting your neighbor's goods is okay. The churches of the world will tell you, coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other is okay. Uh, You can take a bite out of one another through those uh, government agents. And that's perfectly okay, according to the churches. But clearly, Christ said it's not okay. Like I said, in Luke 22, 25, and on that page, you can look over to the right and it tells you. And I have links to the article on benefactors. What are the benefactors? Who were they? Who were the fathers of the earth? Who were they? What was the free bread? Where should you be getting your daily bread? Should you be getting it from men who exercise authority or men who exercise love? Well, you're going to have to find the men who exercise love because the modern church ain't them. They talk about love, but they also say it's okay to have an appetite for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And even to borrow against the future of your children so that they are trillions of dollars in debt. And tomorrow, soon, they may be starving because of runaway inflations, food shortages, price controls. You, you're not going to be able to even go into the stores without your vaccination, etc., etc. Already that's happening. I, if I told you that two years ago, you wouldn't believe me. Uh, that you'd be standing in line six feet apart wearing masks <laughs> to get into stores. And if you don't wear the mask, you can't get into the store. And people think they're getting victories because they, they get into a store with a, I didn't wear one and I got in there. 
and everything. Yeah, well, it's getting worse and worse. It's not getting better and better. And you can get these little victories, but you're still coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority. You're not getting any closer to the kingdom. You're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands taking care of all the social welfare of your community through faith, hope, and charity. Are you? So until you're doing that, you're not really seeking the kingdom of God very handily. Now, we had a lot of people join the network in the last... Uh, well, actually, they, a lot of them came on. That Some of them signed up a little while ago, but they didn't get on right away. But I went through and found all of them that I could find and let them on to the network. Now it's up to them to find congregations of record, form congregations of record, and start helping one another. It will be a learning process. And right now there's a lot of training wheels out there. And it's not a matter of life and death, but you need to persevere at that, strive at that, not run off at the first sign of trouble and see if you can move from being a Nicolaitan to be an actual Christian. So, and until till then, join the network at preparingyou.com at hisholychurch.org. Uh, learn to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself and peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.